Welcome back to Empowering Exceptional, the VE Plus podcast series where we focus on fascinating people doing innovative things in their fields. I'm your host and the head of Vincent and Elkins Labor and Employment Practice, Sean Becker. We're honored to be joined today by Mark McLean. He's an innovator and a leader in the technology community and the founder and CEO of SailPoint. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Sean. It's a real pleasure to be here. Also in the V&E podcast studio today is Wes Jones, a partner in the M&A and capital markets practice at V&E, based in our Austin office, and Wes has worked with Mark for many years. Thanks, Sean. That's right. Mark and I have worked together for a number of years now, actually through two different companies that Mark's been involved with, SailPoint and Waveset. Both of those companies solve different problems in what's known generally as the identity management market. Mark, can you explain to us exactly what that is? Yeah, sure, Wes. I think at its simplest, we're, we're part of the security landscape for large enterprise organizations that have, quote, security issues, which is a hot topic, as we all know today. And identity is the particular issue of basically ensuring that the right people have access to the right information that the enterprise cares about. So it used to be mostly about employees. And of course, over time, we have contractors, we have business partners, we have lots of flavors of people that are accessing our corporate relevant information. And of course, another shift that's happened over time that's made this problem complicated is that that information doesn't always live safely secured in our data centers anymore, right? We have cloud applications, we have software as a service that most companies are utilizing like Salesforce and Workday. So the data is all spread out. The people are less centralized and less clearly owned by our organization. So the challenge now of ensuring that the right people have access to the right information is quite substantial. And that's our area of focus. We help mid-sized to large enterprise organizations around the globe make sure that the right people have access to the right stuff at all times. Great. These days, the identity and access management business is now front of mind. I mean, we mm. think of the Equifax data breach, Target, Sony. Uh, it's something that public-private companies are more aware of, it seems, mm -hmm. than ever. Mm -hmm. So in this era, I mean, how does an access management company stay one step ahead and innovate to outthink or avoid the, the next data breach? It's a great question. We focus on this idea of, again, fundamentally making sure that the right people have access to the right stuff and only the right stuff. It turns out if you dig into some of these breaches that have made the headlines, quite often it was not so much poor security defenses. It was literally just sloppy identity management, meaning somebody had access to something they either no longer needed or never should have had, or perhaps there was an imposter, right? Someone who appeared to be you, but was not you. Turns out an awful lot of problems get resolved by just ensuring the right people have access to the right stuff. Let me give you another quick metaphor that a lot of people don't know has shifted in the world of hacking. So in the early days of hacking, think of a jewelry store. The metaphor was you broke the glass, grabbed the jewels in the front window, and ran. That was how people thought, like, I'm going to get in, grab what I can, and run. Now the metaphor that hackers use, and you've, there's data to back this up, they sneak in the back of the store and try to pose as an employee. And if they get away with it for a while, they'll hang out for six months. They'll case the joint. They'll understand exactly where all the good stuff is. And one very bad night, when everybody goes home, they come in the back of the store and clean it out. Right? We've seen that story a lot of times in tech. And so the trick is... On day two, figure out that's actually not a legitimate employee, right? Because there's stats now that in the world of hacking that when there's a breach, when someone has in infiltrated an organization, they generally go undetected for I think the latest stat is like 270 days. Wow. 
And Mark, I know that a big part of your success is driven by what's called market-driven thinking. Explain to us what you mean by that. Yeah, I think um, this is probably more true in the tech world than a lot of other entrepreneurial areas. But I think so often you find people who kind of get enamored with technology <laughs> and they develop something, and we call that a solution running around looking for a problem, right? I've built this really cool thing. Gosh, I hope I can find somebody who wants to use it for something interesting. And that's, in our minds, pretty um, unsuccessful way to generally build a company. We, we start from a very serious focus on where is there unmet or underserved uh, needs in the market and how do we then build the best mousetrap, so to speak, right? How do we deliver value in a way that's unique for a very clearly articulated and well-defined pain point in the marketplace? So the analogy sometimes that people use here is that of vitamins versus uh, aspirin or painkillers, right? When you have some level of pain, headache or something else, you're anxiously looking for some sort of pain mitigation, right? I would like something right now to take away my pain. Conversely, we all know we should take our vitamins every day. Everybody tells us it's a good idea. We ought to eat healthy things. And we generally try to do that. But if we miss a day or we cheat a little with a scoop of ice cream, we don't lose too much sleep over it, right? So quite often people have products that are fundamentally vitamins. Like, that's nice. I probably should have that. But I've got to deal with this pain over here first. And so they naturally gravitate as buyers to the places where they have real significant pain. And I think it's important when you're starting a new enterprise of any sort to make sure you can clearly articulate the issues that you are solving for some set of buyers and then go off to build the products that will solve that problem. So how did you know you wanted to make the entrepreneurial job? Well, to be fair, I didn't. Uh, if you had asked me at 22 if I thought I was going to be an entrepreneur, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, that's just not me. I'm more risk averse. I'm going to work for big companies. I'm going to climb that corporate ladder thing. I actually spent a little time at HP. I did about seven years at IBM at HP, three at HP, excuse me. And then at that point, I, I was ready for something different. I'd got picked up my MBA at UCLA at the time and was thinking about making a transition. I, in fact, I even considered going to Weyerhaeuser. With no offense to Weyerhaeuser, I don't think I was called to, to make paper my whole life. So I'm glad I didn't make that uh, change. But, um, but I kind of decided, you know, maybe I'm just not meant to be in these large organizations where there's a lot of challenges, political challenges, other things. And so decided to make the, quote, entrepreneurial jump initially by joining an early stage company. So turns out, uh, Wes, you know this well, Tivoli was a very hot, high growth startup in the 90s in Austin, before Austin was at all, frankly, on the technology map in, in the US. But it was a great place to learn. But both IBM and HP were great places to learn a lot of really good business discipline. Tivoli was a great place to learn kind of how you have to start a company. It, it, it was five years old when I got there, but it was still pretty small. And, and kind of what are the issues? And then after that run, as we got to the late 90s, by the way, the internet bubble hadn't burst yet. Things were going great. So a group of us thought we would make the entrepreneurial jump to actually start one ourselves. And uh, got a little what we would today call seed capital to get something started. So four of us left what was then the IBM Tivoli division and decided we would take a run at a startup put you back in time. This was late 99. The bubble hadn't burst yet. Everybody was starting companies. Things were going great. So we quit our high paying jobs. We jump out to start this company and kablooey, you know, the market blows up a few months later. So there were four wives uh, having interesting sessions with four husbands about why did you just do this? Um, this was a bad idea. But it turned out it was a great run. Um, we did our, our aspirin test. We found a market need that was unmet and, and we solved it pretty well. And the company grew rapidly for a few years and ultimately was, was acquired by a big tech company called Sun, which 
later on itself was acquired by Oracle. What was the market need at WaveSet that you identified? There was a lot of people that needed access to a lot of new things, applications, web pages, whatever. And it was very difficult for them to get that access quickly and efficiently. And so the first pain point we came after was what the industry calls either lifecycle management or provisioning, which is how do you, uh, the industry parlance is joiner, mover, lever. If you think about it, right, what happens in organizations? People join, they may join as an employee or a contractor. They move around over time, their, their role changes, the applications they need access change, and then ultimately they leave. Well, that's a life cycle. And keeping track of who needed what at any point in time in that life cycle is pretty painful and manual for most big organizations, right? But at the end of the day, it was how do we help make customers far more efficient, far more effective with that process? That was the, the focus of WaveSet we stayed there for a bit and then decided, you know, there's some other unmet problems in this market space. That's what led to the founding of SailPoint a couple years later. And at SailPoint, you've had a great run and it's worth noting that you've gotten a lot of accolades as you personally have been called the best CEO to work for in Austin by Glassdoor. Um, the Austin Business Journal for several years running has named SailPoint as the best place to work in town. It strikes me that you've innovated in some ways with the workplace culture as well and created an environment in which people want to join you and want to stay. So how have you done that? What we've done is not hard to understand. I think it's hard to execute. Culture, I think, today sometimes gets misconstrued as things like beer in the fridge and ping pong and pool tables and an on-site massage. Crazy. So I think more and more people are beginning to understand you can have all those things and have a really bad culture because a culture is really about how people are treated, right? How do you respect and work with each other in the environment? How do you treat your customers? How do you treat your partners? I often uh, reflect back to a great quote from Herb Kelleher, uh, the founder, uh, actually technically not the founder, it turns out, but the guy who built Southwest Airlines really and just passed away recently. And he said this, you treat your employees right and then ultimately they treat your customers right and then ultimately you end up with the right thing from shareholders. He never focused on pleasing Wall Street. He focused on making sure his employees felt empowered and able to do what they needed to do to serve customers. That created loyal customers. That created an awesome business, right? He always looked at it through that lens. And I think we have a similar view that if we focus on the values we use inside our company, how we treat people, how we do work, how we operate as a team, we will get the right things happening in the products we build, the way we treat and, and uh, help customers and even work with partners. And then ultimately, now as a public company, hopefully a good result in the stock market as well. And I feel like professionals want to live between two guardrails, right? They want to live between, give me enough clarity that I sort of know what's expected. What, what are we trying to do here? What does success look like? Then give me enough freedom so I can use my skills, experience, creativity to solve those problems. So I think if you keep professionals between the, here's enough clarity of what you need to get done with here's enough freedom to bring your skills and creativity to get the work done, that tends to create this thing we call job satisfaction, right? People love working where they can solve problems with teams and, and do so in a way that leverages all their experience and skills. And I think when you give those environments to people, put, put people in those environments, they're generally pretty satisfied. Mark, um, being intimately familiar with SailPoint, I've heard you sit, describe before your company's core values as the four I's. Tell, hmm. tell us what those are. The first value is innovation. And I think, again, as we were talking earlier in the vitamin aspirin conversation, I always say, look, if you're going to start a tech company, if you don't fundamentally have a more valuable product than they can get from a big company, why would they ever talk to you? You have to have an innovative approach. And again, as we were talking earlier about the painkiller, 
we describe innovation as we develop creative solutions to real customer challenges. So it starts with understanding those real customer challenges, then hiring really talented engineers who can build the best solution. The second I is integrity, and I, I joke that I don't know of any company that doesn't have integrity as one of its values. The challenge for most companies is it's the plaque on the wall, not the reality of the way the organization actually seems to operate. And so we sort of talk about integrity as underpinned by honesty, right? Honesty is table stakes. It's not just about honesty. It's about I'm going to be careful with what I promise to you that I'm going to do so you can count on me to deliver that. And, and the corollary we learned over time is guess what, despite all your best intents, sometimes you aren't able to follow through on what you intended to do, then the secret is quite simple. You just convey that to the involved party as soon as you know that, right? What people hate is last minute surprises. Explain why, and it turns out, most people, not all, are actually quite fair and rational and they will work with you toward a new solution. But if you shock them or surprise them, they react negatively as you would expect them to, right? And that's a big part of the, what's broken in the technology landscape. Third eye value is impact, and we, we describe that as we measure and reward results, not activity. You can spin in a circle and appear to be very busy, but not actually get a lot done. And in smaller companies, that is self-managing for the most part. When we had 10, 20, 50, even a hundred people, I kind of knew what everybody was doing. And it was pretty apparent to everyone if one member of the team was just not getting it done. And again, we would sit and say, hey, what? this isn't great. What's going on here? Why, why can't we achieve what we're trying to achieve? But that accountability to follow through and deliver real progress differentiates a lot of early stage companies from their large competitors where often people are just, again, creating busy work and lots of noise and activity, but very little progress. And then the last I value, uh, I always say, is, is should be a P. Should have been three I's and a P for people, but four I's, as I said, are easy to remember. So it's individuals, right? And that we just describe that as we, um, we care about every, we value every person in the organization. And I think what's become so important about that is how technology has changed our lives. You're going to take personal calls at work. You're going to take work calls at home. You're going to work on personal issues in the office. You're going to answer emails at night. So because we're so much more fluid, I think our need to treat people as whole people has gone up. Like people expect you to understand that they have a whole life and it's more fluid and integrated than it was 30 years ago. I think that idea of treating people as the whole people they are, not expecting them to be some sort of separate entity called a, an employee <laughs> from eight to five and then a person when they go home is just a, is a value that's fairly common now, I think, but, but still not, not as well understood, I think, as people would like, like to believe. SailPoint's track record in this space is pretty impressive. I mean, you have built identity platforms for 11 of the 15 largest federal agencies, eight of the top 15 banks, four of the top six healthcare and managed care providers. Where do you go from here? Uh, we get the ones that aren't on that list. We think there are literally something on the order of 50 to 60,000 enterprises around the globe for whom our product should help them solve their problems. And today we have a, a few, a few, bit over 1,000 customers. So lots of, lots of white space to go after still. Now, this is the V&E podcast, so we do have to ask you about lawyers. And, and in fact, I had heard you even flirted with going to law school at one point. So. Oh, even more than flirted. I, I, uh, I actually got waitlisted at two law schools coming out of undergraduate, and thankfully, I didn't get in because I've learned since that I love and respect lawyers. I should not have been one because I thought it was just the Perry Mason part. You get on TV and you argue. That looked fun. Um, that whole research part, man, that's not as fun for me. And the value of, of, of corporate law, once I certainly got into the entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial realm was quite clear of how do you set the organization up with the right structure, how do you financially, uh, risk management, all the things that Wes and his team have done for us now, as he said, across two companies for almost 20 years. It's just a, a key partnership for a company that, that wants to kind of make a dent in the marketplace. You have to have a great partner as, as your legal team. Well, thanks for allowing us to work with you and thank you for spending time with us today and sharing your wisdom and experiences. Thanks, Mark. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for allowing me on the show. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Empowering Exceptional. I'm Sean Becker, and please join us again next time for another episode.